This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. A quest is a search for something. And every week, the Quest podcast will show you how we know what we know through interviews with people that have incredible stories of dedication and perseverance. I'm your host, Todd Fisher. Join me in this thought-provoking and inspiring podcast of discovery. Find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. everybody, and welcome back to A Catholic's Perspective, the podcast all about being a young Catholic surviving in a secular world. Today, I have a very special guest. I have Dr. Jerry. He is the co-founder of Souls and Hearts, which is an online mental health education resource, and he's the past president of the Catholic Psychotherapy Association. He has been a speaker for many professional associations, including the Catholic Psychotherapy Association and the Catholic Social Workers National Association. Ooh, lots of associations. The American Psychological Association and the Association for Spiritual, Ethical, and Religious Values in Counseling, among others. So welcome, Dr. Crete. I am so excited to have you on here to discuss your new book with us. Mm, It's my pleasure. It's amazing. So I... When I, for people who are watching this, um, this is the book, so good. I have gotten through quite a bit of it, and I've really been able to connect with so many of the testimonies that people have spoken about in here. And I notice, would you consider this to be like a self help book? How would you describe this book to the listeners? Yeah, I guess you could put it in self help category because it is, um, a book that you that you can be you're guided through right and there's sort of a process uh, especially for people um who are struggling with any anxiety struggling with any post-traumatic stress that was my primary audience was to provide people with something that they could do on their own or in small groups um so i mean it, it doesn't replace seeing a counselor or a therapist if you need that, but it might be a really good addition to it, or it might be just something you would enjoy and find beneficial on your own. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, that's fantastic. And with that, I definitely think that this was needed because, you know, we have so many mental health epidemics going on today. What specifically sets your book apart from like other self-help books today? Right. Well, a couple of things. Um, one is that I've been working as a as a marriage and family therapist, as a counselor for quite a number of years. And I've, you know, I've kind of really been careful in choosing the types of therapies that I do. Uh, and, you know, I've done a lot with trauma treatment, and including EMDR, which which was really helpful. But when I discovered parts work, which is um, the most well-known type of parts work is internal family systems or IFS. I learned, you know, I I learned the techniques and so on, and I was started to use them. And 
it was really rather incredible. Um, the results that I was getting, the powerful change that was happening much quicker than normal and people finding profound, having these profound experiences in therapy, but also being able to translate it into their lives. So I was really excited about that. And, uh, but I had these questions, <laughs> how compatible is this type of treatment? with my faith, with my Catholic faith. And so one of the things that I do in this book is I want to show how um, a parts work approach is uh, can be very Catholic. In fact, there are a lot of ways in which it links well with the with the Bible, with the early church fathers, with the saints. But the way it is currently being practiced in some respects might argue with the faith. So I wanted to propose something that wouldn't. So that was one one major goal. And the other one was just to help people struggling with stress, anxiety, the effects of trauma, because it's so epidemic in our world. I mean, the rates of depression and the rates of anxiety in just in the United States alone is, 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 is skyrocketed in the last 10 years. Yeah, that's so true. And I have seen it in my generation. I'm technically at the tail, like at the beginning of Gen Z or something. I'm an older Gen Z, basically. But I see it so much in my generation, in millennials. I mean, every single generation kind of carries their own trauma, but I don't think we've ever had a book specifically like this to help us kind of work through that. And like you said, it's not a replacement for actual therapy if if you need that, but I think it's a good place to start for those who don't exactly know where to begin with their healing journey. And so when we look at how the world is today, we see that God isn't really at the focus of many people's lives anymore. Do you think that that has a reason for like this mental health epidemic we're seeing that God isn't at the center of society anymore? Well, I, I would say um, absolutely that's a major factor. I'm um, not just that God be at the center of society, but that God be at the center of one's heart and, mm -hmm. you know, and that that isn't um you're right one's identity is you know for a lot of people it isn't rooted in god it isn't rooted in god having created us it isn't rooted in our connection uh in our, our self-discovery you know um because there's sort of a fundamental difference i would say between you know how people might have looked at things even 25 years ago or plus or at least definitely 50 years ago plus and have seen that you know i want to discover who I am, you know, and so I look toward God to help me understand who I am. I'd looked inward to discover who I am in a way. Um, and so that, that process of self-discovery is, is, um, is key. And you live out of this, this identity that you discover you've been given, but in our post, maybe post postmodern world, um, the message is really quite different. Um, the message is you have to create it. You have to find your identity by making it your yourself. So, so that is actually kind of frightening if I think about it. And, and I think it's why there's almost an identity crisis, whether it's related to gender, whether it's related to where I fit in the world or my sense of connection with my country or with my church or whatnot. It's because we, we have, we're responsible for creating it. We're, and yet we're not, we're almost like our own little gods in, in that sense. Right. Yeah. Relativism is kind anxious. of... Well, sorry. Yeah. No, no, you're good. I, I think that, you know, relativism has really creeped in, you know, making ourselves the center of our own universe and really just doing what makes us happy 
but in reality there's this disconnect I feel like where doing the things that make us happy don't actually make us happy. You know, if we don't have God at the center of our lives and if we're not really helping those around us, we're tricked into this belief that, oh, if you just buy the next Stanley Cup, it's going to fix all of your problems. Or if you buy the next, you know, hair product from Drunk Elephant, it's going to solve your problems. And I think it's really difficult when people don't have that foundation of who they are, like you're saying, like they don't, you know, they don't know why God created them. They don't even believe in God. Why would God allow so many horrible things to happen to them? Mm-hmm. So I definitely see that. And how do you think that, or how do you, how does our spiritual life impact our mental health and vice versa in these situations? Yeah, yeah. There's a really, I think, interesting and faith compatible approach, a psychological approach called attachment theory. And it it's had some popularity, even, you know, it's a secular theory and everything, but it's based on a lot of research that shows that when infants um, are need to attach to their, initially, it's usually the mother, but parents, and, and that when that is disrupted in some way, uh, which it is because we're in a fallen world, always gets disrupted to some extent, um, we develop these insecure attachments. And so and then we have these insecure attachment styles. And so we we become avoidant or we become anxious or we flip maybe between some level of ambivalence, right? And and so what we what I find is that when people have insecure attachments with their parents, it translates to an insecure attachment with God. Because that's our first image of who God is, is usually our, on some level, it's our parents. And so, um, and we can't help it. It's just kind of how we're designed. We have to learn, in a sense, who God is, ultimately. Um, but when we have parents that really exemplify God's love and so on, it it's a much easier transition than if they're, if they're the opposite. But so one of the things that I kind of set out to do what was before I started writing this book is I wrote these prayers and they they called them the litanies of the heart, which is the the book ended up being named after. But I I, I wrote these three prayers and I based them on the three different attachment style, insecure attachment styles. Um, And so there's the wounded heart, the fearful heart and the closed heart. And I, and these prayers, I don't know if you've had a chance to see them or pray them, but, but they're, they're designed to bring you to a, um, a secure go from your insecurity to a secure attachment with Christ, and that's what the prayers are designed to help walk you through. So it, it really is like I'm coming to you, God, with all of my insecurities and all my woundedness. And I based a lot of the the statements there based on people I've worked with, like people what people have told me or what in my own experience sometimes too, but like what I've heard over and over and over again people say. And, and I and I brought and we're bringing those to the Lord and we're walking through a process of saying, Lord, um, I give this to you, Lord, hold me, Lord, you know, and then eventually getting to a place of feeling secure, because if you don't have that basic security uh, anywhere, how are you supposed to connect with others? How are you supposed to connect with God? I mean, it's very it's, it's impossible it's, and, and therefore creates anxiety. Right. No, that's, that's extreme. I noticed that like in my own life where, you know, I fell away from the church for eight years. And when I came back, I felt like I had imposter syndrome. Like, I'm, I don't know who I am. Like, am I a child of God? Who am I? And, 
you know, I have my own trauma from my parents, you know, parents do the best they can, but there's always going to be something that slips through the cracks. And, you know, just trying to figure out where I fit into everything is difficult. And I see my peers struggle with that. You know, they think that buying the newest Gucci bags going to make them fit in with their peers or have people like them more or have their parents like them more. And it's all this false sense of we want people's you know, recognition. We, But it's not because of who we are. It's for the things we have and the things we've accomplished. Like in that story with Alexander in the beginning, you know, he talks about how his dad really loved hockey. So he started playing hockey, but then he wasn't good at it because he needed glasses. They didn't figure that out till later. And he never got that recognition from his dad, which kind of threw him into this whole spiral of I need to be better than him and I need to be liked for my accomplishments. Um, Can you speak a little bit about what college kids might be facing today about, you know, feeling like they're only worth what their grades are worth or, you know, that their worth is in their grades, those types of things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I'm so glad you related to, you know, related to that story and the stories as you finish the book. He actually, that character has a few different episodes uh, and when you get toward the end, there's there's a few I think nice ones. They're they're, they're powerful in my opinion, but but I think what you're talking about, and like say for example, college students, and and all the pressures they have for grades, and the pressures that the the financial pressures that they may have, and then the need to therefore you know launch their career and everything else, um, let alone the the more social pressures of how to dress or whatnot or how to look, uh, how to behave. Um, they're all externals, right? Like all those pressures are external to ourselves. And when our self-worth is determined by things that are outside of ourselves, you know, whether it's how our age or how we look or how fit we are or how much money we make or what kind of car we drive, what kind of purse we have, (laughs) all those externals are going to be always in flux in life. Right. So it's always going to be up and down because like if our boss loves us, then we're great. And if our boss is up having a bad day, him, him or herself, then sudden and they're unkind to us or something or put us down, suddenly our worth we're worthless. So if our grades are up or down, you know, our it's depend you know, our worth has changed. Well, um, that is inherently anxiety inducing. <laughs> and so oh, yeah. when your worth is actually grounded in who God created you to be, right? That it's inherent and that it's grounded in the love that God has for us. Mm. It's a whole different story because now all of a sudden I'm not trying to earn my worth through other means outside of myself that a lot of the time I, I may or may not have a lot of control. I might try to have control over it, but I may not be able to control. But when my when my worth is grounded, in, you know, in, in, in being a child of God, then all of a sudden I don't have to try so hard, but I will, I will want to do some things and I'll be passionate about doing some things because uh, I'm coming from a place of being loved and from being recognized as worthy of love right and inherently and so the things i do aren't going to be anxiety inducing they're actually going to be exciting and they're going to give you some passion and some meaning and purpose in life because it's like it's flowing from your sense of worth very different very different feeling 
Yeah. No, I think that's profound. Oh, were you going to say something? No, no, go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that's I think that's important, especially because when we are rooted in God, other people's opinions about us don't matter either. And I think when we are living the life that God wants us to live and we have that love with him and so many people these days, especially who have no dads in the home, they don't know how to connect with God because God the Father is so difficult. There's so many barriers without dads in the homes. You know, there's gangs running rampant. Drugs are at an all-time high. And we're seeing this all because dads are not home, you know, and and I think that plays a huge role in how we view God the Father. Yeah, no, I think so. I, I total agreement with that. And I think it's an interesting thing because in this book, one of the things I'm trying to help people do is to connect interiorly. And I think that, um, and have proper ordered self-love. And this is not selfishness. This is not the sin of, you know, being prideful or selfish. It's the opposite. It's about, and it, it really is about learning to love oneself um, in the way that really God wants us to, you know, he says to love others as you love yourself. Well, if you don't love yourself, how are you supposed to love others? Oh, well, so, and what does that mean? And how do you do that? And so if you haven't, like, for example, you're saying like a father or, you know, or, or a parent, but especially a father is not, has, isn't, is absent or is unaffirming or even abusive or right? some spectrum of all that, then in some ways we don't learn how to love ourselves right? We only learn how to be questioned and critique ourselves or doubt ourselves, or we just learn to cope with the fact that I'm not, I don't feel loved or worthy. So I have to find a way to manage that. And the ways when we're young, when we learn to manage that is usually ultimately unhealthy, right? It may work temporarily at the time, or maybe a stopgap or something. But a lot of the times it really doesn't, it doesn't end up it, it doesn't last long and and in even some cases can be extremely unhealthy if especially if it's you know i learned to just dissociate with substances or activities and this kind of thing so really I, I'm, I'm wanting to look at what does it look like inside to access our what i you know i say the inmost self i'm taking it from romans 7 and saint paul talks about his inmost self and and we have that in our in our Catholic tradition with the saints, so many monastics talking about our true self or core self or this cave of the heart or, or Saint Athanasius calls it mirror of the soul. It's like this deep spiritual center. And the amazing thing about this deep spiritual center uh, um, is that it's naturally compassionate, naturally calm, naturally patient. It's naturally Christ-like because it's really reflecting the image of God within us, but it's usually obscured by things, right? And we're not accessing right. that fully. But what's cool is that the guy, the fellow that uh, developed internal family systems, for example, Richard Schwartz, who's not, not Christian, um, discovered in working with people, he was working with, especially I think originally women who had eating disorders and who'd had a lot of trauma in their lives. And, 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 he found something unexpected when he had them look inside in their internal world. And he found they had all these like conflicting parts of their personality, parts of their inner self. But when he was able to kind of like tease those out, they all had, a, he called it, he just called it the self. They all had a self that was naturally kind of wise and 
patient and all these quality he, he has the eight c's calm clarity compassion creativity he's got all these that were qualities of the self and it didn't matter how bad their lives were it didn't matter the horrible trauma they may have experienced or how their what was going on when you access that core it's just naturally good it's almost like a naturally good parent mm-hmm. and so that's within us right and so uh that really got me thinking oh how does this like fit with our faith right because if this is true imagine this inmost self infused with the graces of love faith and hope right like like how much more that could bring healing to the person how much more could a person learn to love themselves properly in order to then love others even better and learn to connect with god in an even deeper way so that led me into that whole exploration of our inner world. Wow. I didn't even know about that. I mean, you hear about these things in the Bible, but you never really give it a second thought. You're like, ah, oh, you know, whatever. And then you put it into context of, you know, these situations like mental health. And I didn't know about these things until I read your book. And I was like, this makes so much sense. Like, why didn't I think of this before? And I really think people just need to be told these things. I think some people, you know, the answer is right in front of them, but they need to be led. Um, I know I was definitely like that, where I knew what I had to do, but I needed help. I needed guidance. I felt like I needed someone to take me by the hand and lead me. And I definitely think this book is something I would have liked to have, you know, back when I was reverting back to the church to like hold my hand and be able to be like, hey, this is how you process this. And, you know, I have a great spiritual director, but it took me like two and a half, three years to find him. Um, and so I think this is really helpful for those who are who are struggling, you know, to, to figure out where to go or where to start. Um, but there is something that I've noticed too. Um, in there's like this new, it's I guess it's not really new, but um it kind of started with the feminist movement back in the day. And that is that people like to victimize. Um, they like to be victimized and they like to use their trauma as a reason or an excuse for why they behave the way they do or why they don't want to do something. Could you speak a little bit about that and how we can keep ourselves from doing that and actually heal from our traumas and and not use them as excuses? Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that's really interesting about the IFS model is they they understand the inner world as having a multiplicity. So there's an understanding that within us are these, what he calls, they call parts. And those mm. can be sometimes called ego states, or they can be called um, sub personalities, maybe. And from a Catholic perspective, they don't have a separate existence. Like we're one being, we're one human being, but but we do have like these inner conflicts. And so, um, you know, St. Paul talks about, I do what I do not want to do. St. James talks about a war battle with his members. Like there's sort of like, we have inner conflicts and so on. And so we have parts that are um, um, kind of uh, Richard Schwartz and IFS talks about them as being managers, right? Is one one type of part, and they're managing our lives, kind of like, and th- those can be super helpful because they help us do tasks and this kind of thing. So when, but we also have parts that are carrying some wounds, right? So if we've experienced a trauma, we may have a part that is um, holding on to that memory holding on to the pain associated with it, such as fear, or shame, or, or some kind of pain. Um, and so, 
but our system naturally wants to keep that apart. So we, we exile. So those parts are usually called exiles because they're, our, our system naturally wants to push that away. Right. And because we don't want to feel fear or shame or pain or, or intense sadness naturally, like we want to avoid those things. And so we have these managers or protectors inside that that do that. Right. So and but these managers and protectors are finding different ways of protecting the system from being overwhelmed by wounds from the past. All right. So just that is a normal kind of thing that people do and in the work that I do and and that is to help connect with those managers to then access the exiles and he bring healing and growth so that the exiles no, are no longer exiles and they move back into the system harmoniously and we find out, wow, they have resources and they're wonderful. And so the system's working really well. So we're no longer a victim. Those exiled parts are no longer victims. So the whole purpose of this process is not to foster victimhood, is not to like sit in victimhood. It's about bringing victimized parts, because we are sometimes victims, but bringing those victimized sure. parts into wholeness, healing, unburden them so that they actually become like, like alive in our system. And when those those parts, like usually when you discover it, like I just love this work. Like I love working with people and helping them discover these exiles and connect with them because they're almost always these parts that are sort of stuck in time, so to speak. And that means that usually you encounter them there. They're most often children, sometimes teenagers, but often they're children and they're sort of stuck holding some emotion and some memory from the past and associated with that is some belief like i'm not worth anything or i have to be quiet or i'm going to be in trouble or or, or you know I, I have to stay invisible to be loved or, or i won't or whatever it is lots of things and so when you discover those parts um they they, they appear like all, all kinds of ways initially right they might be scared they might be hard to see or whatever, when you actually bring them in and you actually work with them and you discover, oh my gosh, this is like an eight-year-old. <laughs> and, yeah. and you actually help that let go of whatever that burden is. You give, you're giving that part of you the thing that it always needed. So if you're connecting it with the self, and I called it earlier, this really perfect parent, almost like this ideal parent, a loving, compassionate self. And that when it is comes in contact with that exile, it's always bringing compassion. It's bringing whatever the exile always needed just to be told, you know, you're okay. I love you. What happened? Wasn't your fault or, or, um, you're, you're safe now or whatever it is that, that, that it always needed that it didn't get. And all of a sudden the burdens are lifted and you see this child, all of a sudden this child is like a child again, like playful and happy and like, childlike christ says to, to be childlike right it's actually that for the kingdom of heaven is, is those who are childlike and so this childlike part and all of a sudden the rest of your system is no longer afraid of it the system has been acting like they're afraid of those of this this part that's exiled away as if it's so bad and it's just so overwhelming but then when you actually unburden that part and you work with it it's like no why are we afraid of this part i want to have that zest for life and that playfulness and childlike exuberance back in my heart. I want to access. And so the child is actually welcomed into the system in a whole new way. Mm -hmm. So there isn't space for what you're talking about, which is, you know, um, acting like my trauma is my excuse um, 
for for whatever agenda it might be going on. I would wonder there for some people that do that, whether that isn't a protective part, taking the role of victim for some purpose. So if I was working with that, whenever you work with a protective part of the system, sometimes they, they're scary. Like they could come off as critical or angry or, you know, um, even sometimes people discover them as almost like monsters or something like this. The imagination is really amazing, but, but, but that part is showing up in a, in a, a negative way, but it's, but when you actually bring it in closer and you actually figure out, Oh, what are you trying to do? Why are you trying to do that? You realize this part of the system learned the only way, for example, maybe in, in your case with the feminists and whatnot, the only way that I could be heard is if I be a victim. Mm. all of a sudden you can go okay when did you learn that and you find you don't argue with it you 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 get curious about it when did you learn that being a victim was your only way to get a voice or the only way to be you know uh loved or something okay well can would it be what would you think if we were able to be heard and loved and and not and not have to be a victim would that be okay? And what's remarkable is these parts go, yeah, I would love that. Okay, let's try something new. Can we try new something new? And the part actually works with you, right? So there can be a change out of, in this case, a victim mentality. Wow. So, That's amazing. How long does it usually take for you to be able to get through to someone who has those barriers up? Because I know, you know, as a therapist, it's hard for people to come in, you just meet them, you're a stranger. How long does that usually take for them to start trusting you and build mm -hmm. that relationship? Well, it depends a lot. I mean, people are different. So um, it's a case by case thing. I usually find if they come in already with a sense of of hopefulness in, in this, you know, maybe they've heard me on podcasts like this, and they already feel a connection or um, or, you know, I get a lot of referrals from clergy. And so um, if their if their pastor tells them, oh, this approach is really great, or this therapist is great, they come in with a certain level of hope, hopefulness that, that, that you, so you don't have to work as hard to just earn that initially. So right there, that's a plus. But um, I don't find it takes too long because like, I'm kind of explaining it to you and you're nodding and you're kind of getting it and wheels are turning. Well, you're already reading the book. So like you know what i mean when you start telling somebody somebody's their life and you have hardly met them because <laughs> you're going yeah that's me that's me <laughs> like that you you develop a rapport and when you like i explain a little bit what this process is up front and so people are usually like yeah i want to do that and so it takes just sometimes even in the first session let's just do a little something like at the very beginning let's just see what it's like to try to connect with a part a part of the self and and then they experience it a little bit and then they want to they then they're excited about it and it's something they can practice on their own too and the next time they come in they're already been kind of maybe connecting with a part of themselves that they never maybe had connected with before yeah i think that's really important because like you said everybody's different in their own way but having that foundation and for people to be able to hear these experiences and read your book and feel that connection definitely would quicken up the process. I mean, I'm already like, oh yeah, I totally get all of this. This is great. 
So I think it's interesting. I'm a babysitter too. And so um, when I'm watching these little girls grow up, I've been watching them for about eight years. And you talk about that victim mentality and how like sometimes that's just a front for uh, another emotion or another feeling not being heard. You know, I I see that in the little girls and they're so young, you know, and they're already experiencing some of this just from their school peers. Um, you know, home life is great, but public school is so rough and they just don't feel heard in this sea of children. And so they resort to other things to be heard. And I just have to like tell them like, no, I'm listening. Like I'm here. I'm not on my phone. I'm giving eye contact. But they're not used to that. They're not used to being heard. Um, and so it can be really difficult trying to help the younger generation, but also those of us who are still healing our wounds, you know, to figure out, like, how do we help each other so that we don't cause each other trauma even more? Like, what are some steps we can do and we can take to help those who are also suffering trauma and not worsening it? Is worsening a word? Yep. We'll figure it out. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Um, so you're, you're asking how can we help others to kind of yeah because because you mentioned children and what's amazing is children take to it so easily and so you know there's that disney movie um uh with all the different emotions i'm blanking out on the name inside out i think and, inside yeah, out yeah yeah and uh and you know children get that right away when they see all those different characters and one's angry and one's you know have you know joyful and all this and so they they immediately take to an understanding of of that inner world that it's complicated it's not we're not just like one thing all the time we're we're not there's 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 some complexity to our system and so even there to be able to say you know like to a child you speak you know kind of at their level a little and you're like oh so it sounds like there's a part of you that you know you know, was hurt by what she said and, you know, was, and you can invite them, you know, given whatever the example is, you can say, you know, is there another part of you that feels different than that? Or, you know, or what would you want to say to the part of you that feels sad about what your friend just told you, whatever it is they're, they're saying. And so children get it right away. The other thing that I think is interesting um, is that people who are prayerful, especially contemplative prayer, um, take to it very well. I work with a lot of clergy and religious. I've worked with dust and priests, uh, priests that belong to missionary type orders, even uh, monks that are living. And uh, uh, it's, a, it's a big portion of my clientele now. And I love it because they get it immediately. If you are used to looking inward and doing contemplative prayer or practicing recollection where you're connecting with God and meditating and connecting with the, your inner world, it's like, I love it because I don't have to explain it all that much. And and they take to it. Um, but sometimes you have people, though, that don't. And it's like they don't understand what I'm talking about. And they're like, what do you mean a part of me? You know, and it's almost like there are some people that almost don't have inner dialogues going on within them. And so that requires a little more work to help slow them down a little bit. What is it like to look inside? Even connecting with their physical body, because a lot of times our parts are our, our, our parts are connected to our, our physical body as well. I mean, it's really consistent with 
with the Catholic faith is notion of soul and body as being our body and souls are, are in, intricately connected. We're not like a, we're not just a body that happens to house a soul. I mean, it's connected. And so when there's something, when we're anxious or stressed or we're carrying some trauma, it's, we're carrying it in our bodies. So sometimes you help people like notice what's going on in their bodies and that leads to connecting with the part of them on an interior level. And so um, for some people, you really have to like, you know, it, it, it takes a little bit more work, but eventually they will get there uh, in connecting with that inside. That's I'm not amazing. sure I answered that question. <laughs> no, no, that's, I mean, it helps though, because you really do need, I guess it's hard these days because people, you know, we're all wounded in some way. And so I think it's hard because when we see someone I don't know exactly know how to explain this, but I've experienced this in my relationship. I'm getting married in a few months. And I learned that God puts people in your lives whose wounds match up with yours. And what I mean by that is like something that my fiance does that is totally normal for him might trigger me for absolutely nothing that has to do with what he did. Um, like he'll do something. It'll trigger me because of a past wound. And then I'll do something that triggers him from a past wound but we don't realize it. So it's interesting how we can kind of trigger each other, but knowing how to ground ourselves and really look inward and be able to heal ourselves is going to help, I think, heal those around us. Would you agree? Oh, yes. Yes. I'm glad you brought that up because you just named something that I like to talk about. And that is how couples relate to each other. Because if we have this inmost self and we have these different parts, Right. And ideally, we're working on our own healing and growth and sanctification. And ideally, all our parts are going to come together in harmony and they're going to be unburdened of all their troubles. And we're going to be like this beautiful orchestra singing in perfect harmony. And it's going to be wonderful. But most of us aren't there yet. <laughs> and so uh, you basically that would be a saint. Right. But um, so when we're we talk about our parts being blended with the self is one way it's to describe it. Um, and so uh, sometimes it's like a particular part maybe is kind of in charge for the moment. And if it's blended or it's covering up the self, so to speak, then people are going to experience you differently than if it's they're they're encountering actually they're encountering you kind of more purely as self or a part of you that's led by the self. We call that a self-led part. So. Mm -hmm. In other words, when you meet me, um, you know, you're kind of meeting me right now and I'm I'm in somewhat in therapist role, but I'm also in like author role and, you know, mental health expert role. Right. So I'm that's a part of me that you're encountering. And I'm hoping right now that I'm being self-led in that. Well, I'm trying to be. Well, you might encounter me in a different context where you're going to see a different side of me, a different part showing up. Who knows? Like if it was at a party or if it was at a different if I was buying a car or something, you're going to see a different part of me. So uh, and so we, when you we talking about a relationship, say, with your uh, fiance or eventually your husband, he, he's got his parts and their wounds. And so what happens is um, if you're encountering a part of him that is acting out of that woundedness and it's triggering you, it's going to trigger a particular part of you with its woundedness. So you're now talking to him part to part. So your part and his part, whatever part it is, are having some kind of interaction. And if it's not self-led at all, then it could get really bad. <laughs> it could get negative, right, in some way. 
but so if you're if you practice this if you practice being as we would say in self or you practice connecting with that in most self i would say practice uh, i talk about hildebrand's uh true consciousness this kind of thing if you if you practice this model you are able to identify sooner quicker when there's a part of you triggered by something he says or does and then you're able to first of all take a moment it doesn't take that long to connect with the triggered part to do whatever work you need to do there right and you know maybe it's it's a question of reassurance or maybe it's a question of may, it might even be just saying hey listen can you just step back a bit we'll talk about this later we'll deal with this later so you can return to to him and speak to him more from self and he's doing the same thing then which is another question but you're going to get a better result from self no matter what but if he does the same thing and then you guys are talking self to self that's what i think saint thomas aquinas refers to in is as union right and he talks about the different levels of friendship going from similitude where you just have things in common to affection where you like them and you're and so on to actual union right self to self connection that's intimacy that's secure attachment right that i was talking about before uh that we want to go to secure attachment with christ but you can do that with somebody else but you can't have that level of union with another human being if you don't love and take care of your own parts first, so that you're capable of then meeting with him, in this case, meeting with him from a place of self. It's, you know, and, and most of us, we're, we don't think that way and we don't kind of practice it. So we probably see each other's parts more than we see self. Yeah, I definitely have noticed that. And, you know, it's so interesting too, because, when you have a argument, or I guess in my case, when we've had arguments and stuff, I, we've always had to take breaks. Like there, we've never had anything super big, but it's like, we have to take breaks and kind of think through things. And then we come together and we can just be like, Hey, when you said this, it made me feel like that. Instead of just continuously saying things or maybe nagging the other person, which could create that uh, those parts to maybe show up more strongly as a protection mechanism. Mm -hmm. I've noticed that before where it's like, if I feel like I'm just consistently one after another getting attacked, I shut down and I let my protection mechanism kind of come up, which is I would consider to be a part of myself, right? That would be a part mm -hmm. kind of, but, um, and I noticed that he does the same thing. And so we found this unity or this, um, I guess, oh, what's the term? Just like calmness, I guess, when we can just like take a moment apart, really kind of think like, okay, why is this triggering me? Why am I having these issues? It's not the person. It's something they said. It's something that is out of our control. And what am I really mad about? Am I mad about how, you know, he didn't do the dishes or am I mad about the traffic and the expensive bills and this, this, and this, and he just put the cherry on top of the volcano dumpster fire. Like <laughs> it's interesting um, to see how that works. And so I think what you're saying is really important, especially for couples nowadays going into these relationships um, and into these marriages, you know, divorce rates people say are dropping, but that's just because people aren't getting married. Divorce rates are still very high. And so I think, you know, really working on ourselves guarantees a better relationship in the future. 
Absolutely. And what you just described, what you do is taking some time out to self-reflect. I think that's wonderful that you guys do that. I think that is something that couples should do. Um, Because really what you're doing is you're kind of looking inward and you're, you know, maybe even praying or recollecting and you're, you're able to then return to each other um, from a different place, I think probably more from self. So what I would would just throw out um, to add to that, perhaps, is if you think about your parts in the moment, sometimes you could say speak for a part rather than from a part. So in other words, if I have a part that is like angry, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe after everything we've talked about that you would actually say that. And there's a part of me that's super angry. Well, if I'm talking from that part, then I'm going to be dysregulated. I'm going to be like, how could you say that and angry and everything. But if I spa, if I'm able to notice that and speak for the part, then all of a sudden I'm able to go listen. There's a part of me right now that's really angry at you because you said that after everything we had talked about and before and some of the things that have happened, you said that there's a part of me that's very angry. There's another part of me that um, is sad and wants to like just cry right now. And then there's another part of me that doesn't want to lose, you know, like loves you and doesn't want to lose whatever, blah, blah, blah. So you're, you're talking for all these different parts. You're speaking to that. And, and often that changes the game in some of those times. And you may not even need to have the time away to figure it out because you're able to actually, well, even though that's still a good idea often, um, but you're able to actually bring, speak for the parts with the person. And if they're able to do that too, then you're actually able to resolve some of that in the moment. Wow. Yeah, that's really important. I think I might do that a little bit already. And I had no idea I did that. And that's, I think, something that so many couples can utilize because so many times the anger comes out, but there's it doesn't seem like the other person knows why. You know, there's this, this saying where a, a husband will ask a wife, oh, honey, you look upset. Are you OK? And she's like, I'm fine. It's like, no, like you're not fine. And it's not one of those situations where, you know, you're inner reflecting. You're just trying to, I don't actually know what people think about in those moments. I, I've definitely been there, but I don't even know what I was thinking about in those moments. Um, but, you know, being able to just explain to the other person, like, it hurt me when you did this, or I'm angry because this happened. Um, just communication. I feel like we are lacking so much communication where people just bottle up their feelings until it explodes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I love what you're saying. And I think that if you say I'm fine, if somebody says I'm fine like that, it's it's their protector. You know, that's the protector. Mm. They're, they're managing. Of course, they're not fine. They're angry. They're very, very angry. But the anger is being exiled, right? The anger is being put behind a wall. So the wall is saying I'm fine. Leave me alone. Go away. So it's an avoidant move. So it's a part that is avoidant. And the reason it's avoidant is self-protection. So, um, you know, then the work that one would do there is to connect with the part that is um, avoidant to understand it has a reason. It's not, our parts are not stupid or parts, they just believe strongly that the way they're doing it is the only option when that isn't always mm -hmm. Uh, and so you're actually, when you get a little separation from it, you can actually help your parts learn new ways to do things um, that, are, you know, as long as it's safe and manageable, those parts will cooperate. 
which is really cool. The other one I would just throw out, because um, I know we only have so much time, and I, I just thought I would mention, is that the one other kind of part is a firefighter part. And those parts are like, they when the, the managers have kind of overwhelmed completely, and then the exile with all those emotions I was talking about, uh, are kind of starting to overwhelm the system. So it feels like, oh my gosh, we have firefighter parts that zoom in. And a lot of, and they will just numb things out. They're, they're just gonna, they don't, you know how a fire, a fire, fire person's gonna break into your house, they're gonna knock down the door, they don't care about the drapes, the carpet, they're just gonna take out the fire. Well, that's, that's what these parts do. And so those parts are sometimes it's alcohol or drugs, it could be like obsessively playing video games or pornography, or it could be like any number of things. It could even be like being super angry or something, but it's, it's like a, an immediate, I got to make this stop kind of thing. And so, and those become an addiction. Like that just becomes a pat a new pattern of coping is just the firefighters coming out all the time. And so what I find is really cool about this and working with people struggling with addictions, or even if it's not an addiction, some problem behavior, um, is that we do the opposite of what we naturally would probably do, right? Because once we have something like, say you, say you use alcohol and you go into some binge drinking thing to numb the pain, right? You're not maybe fully aware that's what you're doing, but that's what you're doing. And then the next day you're like, oh, I'm so like shame and just like, oh, I'm bad. And why did I do that again? And blah, 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 blah. So what we want to do then is like, I want to exile that. Like I just whatever part of me that leaped into action there, I'm gonna throw it into a dungeon and never see it again. Well, the reality is what we wanna do instead, that won't work because it comes out, it'll come, it'll show up again as soon as, as, as the red alert is called. So instead, what we're actually doing is we're actually bringing that part in closer. We actually wanna to get to know that because none of our parts are bad intrinsically. And so what we really wanna do is to bring it in closer to understand, okay, so you're a part of me that comes into so-called save the day in an, in an emergency is how my, our system, <clears throat> you're trying to save me and in a way, almost like, thank you for trying. You've been trying very hard, in fact, <laughs> but uh, the outcome may not be the, the may end up being very unhealthy or may end up having longer term problems, but, but deep down, like you're trying to save me. So how let's touch touching base with that and working with that part to learn a different way to cope and manage, um, you know, when these things happen and to then also work with the parts, of course, that are exiled, because if they're healed, then it isn't going to be this overwhelm. But even when it happens, we can work with these parts to approach it differently. So it's like a whole different way of working with problematic behavior. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's profound. I think so many people are going to find this so helpful. And our discussion has been so good today. I think it's really going to help so many people. I guess just a last little question, little tidbit for those who are out there who maybe have a loved one who's struggling but doesn't know where to help or how to get them help or anything. What would you say to those who have loved ones struggling with a mental illness but aren't seeking help for it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a counselor, a marriage and family therapist. So I, I do think it's good to, to get that, you know, mental health help from somebody who's qualified. If your um, faith is very important to you, uh, which it is to me, um, you can get a faith-based, you know, Catholic therapist is, is a great option because a Catholic therapist is going to, generally speaking, is going to be able to use the methods, you know, psychological methods and treatments 
that, that are effective and have been shown to be helpful, but they're also going to, first of all, respect your faith and not argue with it. And they're also going to be able to like, maybe even integrate aspects of faith in terms of part of the healing journey, because they understand that this soul is also just as important. Our spirit is just as important our spiritual life as our, our physical life and, and that the two are not separate. So, you know, I would say, um, like I run a practice called transfiguration counseling coaching and all of our therapists are Catholic and, and we do a lot of integration, but there are a lot of other ones too across the country. And you can go to catholictherapist.com. Uh, they vet, their therapists, the, their therapists who are uh, agreeing to that they uh, follow the magisterial teachings of the church, uh, Catholic Psychotherapy Association, which you mentioned at the beginning, I used to be president of. We have a directory on the on that on the Catholic Psychotherapy Association website. Uh, if you're looking for an IFS informed therapist and who's also Catholic, which is little unicorns, but we exist. Um, uh, Souls and Hearts, which is um, online resource that I mentioned also at the beginning that I co-founded. Um, there's a directory of therapists that are both Catholic and IFS informed. So there's mm -hmm. lots of options. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So guys, definitely don't hesitate to reach out and find a therapist if you feel like you need one. Thank you so much for being on here, Dr. Creed. I think this has been a really great discussion. And where can my listeners find you before we click off? Oh, they can find me at transfigurationcounseling.com or soulsandhearts.com. And you can get the book at Sophia Institute Press uh, website uh, as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I think this is going to help so many people and we can't wait to hopefully have you on again in the future sometime. We'd love that. Thank you. Awesome. With all of that being said, guys, I hope that this helped you guys and we will talk to you guys in the next one. Bye guys. Do you have questions or comments about today's episode? Email me at thereligioushippie at gmail.com or leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash thereligioushippie. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please be sure to rate and review this episode. This podcast is produced by Amber Rose and distributed by Metacortex Publishing. This podcast is copyright by The Religious Hippie NFP. Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Information and opinions stated in this podcast should not be construed as medical advice. Please be sure to visit the official website for The Religious Hippie at thereligioushippie.com or find me on social media for other unique content. Hi, I'm Father Daniel Duplantis. In the 20th century, a new movement from the Far East captured the Western mind. Since then, the intersection of Christianity and martial arts has generated both conflict and harmony. In between, there remains many gray areas. In my new book, Jesus in the Dojo, I combine timeless theology with modern catechesis to provide a clearer path of reconciliation between the Christian faith and the practice of martial arts. You can find my book, Jesus in the Dojo, available now at most booksellers.